welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. How are we going to get through today? So there's some seats all around. If you have a seat next to you, raise your hand because there's some people looking, I think. So, oh, we got plenty of room. We're good. Just keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. If you need a seat, go grab a hand, sit next to them, split up your party if you need to. Sorry about that. Um, hey, I have a quick announcement before I say thank yous out. Babe, what's the specialty we need if they need help with? Fire. fire hey, if anyone here knows about fire alarm systems, right? You can email, what is it? And panic lights. If you have a contact, if you know about it, email alex, A-L-E-X, at garden.church. Um, we're, we're moving to our new space next Sunday unless something doesn't happen this week. So that's the reality. We'll talk about that at the end. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for making this a, a, a place where we encounter God, where we study the scriptures, where we are formed in the way of Jesus, where you give generously, regularly, um, where you show outsiders hospitalities, where you welcome the city, welcome the cities we're from. This has been a sacred space for many of us where we transform a middle school auditorium and a bunch of kids' classrooms and a gymnasium into a space to encounter God. And it's been this way for nine and a half years, 2013. Uh, we, we moved here because of necessity. Um, we needed a place to worship and we kept getting kicked out of various places, nightclubs, Seventh-day Adventist churches, event centers, church basements. It's crazy. This journey's been wild. 14 years we've been gathering. In fact, what's crazy is next Sunday is our first Sunday in our new place, and it is the 14th anniversary to the weekend of when we started gathering as a church. Yeah. And if you study scripture, you know that 14 is second seven, so it's complete. We're completed. <laughs> I'm just announcing Jubilee. I'm believing for Jubilee. That's what I mean. I mean that sincerely, that this is going to be a season of rest and multiplication and expansion. I believe I was sitting here looking at this crowded room, and I just know we're going to multiply. It's like, do not get comfortable with just being content with one service. We're going to have to get multiple services next week and then probably multiply those within the year. I believe that. I believe God is going to take what we've uh, held in a hidden space in Long Beach, and he's going to put it on display for lots to see. Because uh, he, he, it's, a, it's a new thing he's doing. So I want to say thank you for serving. I already said this, but we have been setting up and tearing down for 14 years. Some of you know what that sacrifice means, 6.45 a.m. to be here, to volunteer, to lead worship, to use your instruments, your, your gifts, to, to set up all the live stream stuff. We have all these cameras in the back and computers. I was back there the other day. I'm like, there's like eight people back there making this happen. There's so much. Some of you, you're, you're going to listen to this uh, because you're in the kids' rooms right now and you haven't been in the gathering regularly for over 15 months because you've sacrificed and served in kids' ministry. Thank you so much. And youth ministry. Some of you haven't been in here forever because you're just serving the youth nonstop. And next week, we'll have space for the youth uh, leaders to be here in one of the services. How cool is that? It's awesome. There's so much I'm grateful for. Um, and I, I thought, you know, there's nothing else I would rather talk about than this characteristic, this one thing that's underneath everything at our church. 
I was meeting with one of my mentors and leaders years ago, and we were just, he was helping me articulate our values. And he was like, hey, what keeps coming up as you talk is this thing that I don't think you've named well, but it's in you and it's in your leaders and it's in your church. Um, and I want you to, because I was naming like, oh, we're, we're, uh, we're spirit-filled and we're biblically sound and we're naming all these things. He's like, but there's this other thing. And this other thing I, I, I think forms all of the other things in your community. I'm like, oh, really? I haven't named it? He's like, no. Well, what is it? He said, extravagant generosity. He's like, this is all we, I, I see it every time you're around. He was naming it in me. And then he started talking about our leaders, talking about our community. You, 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 you give money away. You give time away. You call people. You give to the city. You, have, you are generous with who you welcome. You welcome people that are diverse in you, that have different beliefs. And so today I want to talk about this thing we cannot lose. We're talking about a series called Remember. We're going to take this value with us. So um, this is the one that's going to offend you. If, if scandalous hospitality where I named Jeffrey Epstein didn't offend you, this will offend you. You're like, wait, what did he say? Listen to it last week. It will make more sense. So let me pray. Because I actually feel like this particular sermon, it's probably going to be messy because I had a hard time this week thinking about how to, how to present this. So I'm going to ask the Spirit to minister to us. So why don't we just close our eyes, open up our hands. Holy Spirit, would you come and power through your word? Release a prophetic word, a fruitful word, where we take seeds that you give us and we don't put it in our pocket, but we plant them to see a harvest unfold. I pray, Jesus, that you would um, speak to each of us where we need to hear you today and release us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Extravagant generosity. Extravagant means spending much more than is necessary or wise. Wasteful. I love it. Extravagant. Wasteful. When you think of that, I want you to think of that woman who takes the alabaster jar of perfume, pours it out on Jesus, and the Pharisees, and in another gospel, um, the disciples are like, why did, they, why did she waste this gift on his feet? And the only person that got the gift, that understood what was going on, was Jesus in that moment. The religious elites didn't get it. The ones lit, uh, ruled by rules. The disciples of Jesus couldn't understand it. They're like, we should have gave this to the poor. He's like, no, this is worship. This extravagant gift is an act of worship. There's something underneath the surface. There's generosity in heart. There's an extravagant, a wasteful use of resources. How offensive is that? Generosity, by definition, is willingness, a readiness, an anticipatory excitement in giving. Is that how you think about your giving? Are you excited when we pass those buckets or we stand up and do the liturgy again? You're like, what is this liturgy stuff of... Are, are, are when, you are when you look at your resources, do you get excited about what God invites you to give? Generosity. So the point of today I want to make is simply this. Generosity is God's strategy. I want to show you how generosity is God's strategy. It's his strategy for lots of things. But if you study the scriptures, you'll see that generosity is God's strategy for so many things. So point number one, generosity is God's strategy for building his kingdom. 
All right, check this out. In Matthew chapter nine, I got a ton of verses, so get ready. Hopefully you can be quick with your hands flapping those pages or scrolling. It doesn't matter what kind of Bible you brought here as long as you're reading the Bible, amen? All right, I got my iPad. Here it goes. Jesus went through all the towns. Uh, Chapter nine, verse 35, it says this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So here's the crisis. The crisis is there's so much need. Jesus is healing the sick, but at this point, he's the only one doing it. He recognizes that the community out there are like sheep without a shepherd. They're harassed and helpless. And so he tells his disciples to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest. And then look at the very next story. Chapter 10, verse 1, it says this. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him. He gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Jesus gives what he carries to his disciples. Verse seven, it says, as you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. And here's my, one of my favorite verses. One of my spiritual fathers, Don Williams, would always quote this to me. Freely you have received, freely give. How does Jesus answer his own prayer? Through Generosity. You think about this? It is Jesus's generosity to give away what he carries so that the kingdom would expand. Now it's not just Jesus going around proclaiming the kingdom and healing the sick. It's every one of his disciples now carries the authority, the power from God to heal the sick, cast out demons, and do the things that Jesus did, the Jesus stuff. It is through generosity that God's kingdom expands. I love what the message says. The message version in that that verse, freely you have received, freely give, it says, you have been treated generously, so live generously. You have been treated generously, so live generously. The response to everything we have been given by God is to live in response to his generosity. Generosity is not a percentage. I'll talk about that in a second. Generosity is far more than a percentage because it's a strategy for building his kingdom. You are part of his strategy. He pours his life out into your life so that you can what? Pour your life out to everyone else. This is how the kingdom expands. It's like a pyramid scheme. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. Look, here's how it works. You get two people under you, right? And they get two. (laughs) Point number two, generosity. I love this one. Generosity is God's strategy for aligning your heart with heaven. Generosity is God's strategy for aligning your heart. And I'm going to define it as the center of your will. I'm not talking about your emotions, Heart in the Hebrew context and in the scriptures is the the center of the decision-making mechanism. It's the combination of your your emotions, your brain, your mind, uh, your spirit, 
inside with God's spirit. And that, that center of will is aligned to heaven through generosity. John 3.16, did you guys know this verse? We were testing all the kids earlier. You know, they get like treats over there at kids' church if they memorize verses. Do you know this? My son, my son schemed it already. He's like, Amos, all you have to do is John something. Uh, Jesus wept. And so he gets the, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. John 3.16, it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God gives his Son away. Think about this. Exodus has this passage where it says to consecrate your firstborn. Give your firstborn, your first livestock. This is where we get the idea of first fruits and the tithe, by the way. Give your firstborn to God as a dedication. The rest of your family and livestock will be redeemed through this sacrifice. This is how the, 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 the principle of first fruits comes about in Exodus. And it's, it's taken actually from some ideas in Genesis because by Genesis chapter four, we already see first fruits happening, right? Sin enters into the world. There's a story of Cain and Abel. They're already taking their produce and their livestock and giving back to God. That's how the, the world works. That's how uh, we function as humans. We recognize that all of this stuff we have, all the resource we, we have comes from him. So we, we give back to God. That's an idea of first fruits. We, we give first to God, not give back. We give first to God. Before we know God's blessing, we give first to God. God gives his son. So what does this mean? If you study the scriptures, you see over and over again, it's through God's self-sacrificing love and generosity that things take off. For example, we have salvation because of God's generosity. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him shall. We have eternal life because of God's generosity. Do you see what I'm getting at? That if there was a, a, a flow chart of heaven, it's generosity. That the, the, the culture of heaven flows towards generosity while the culture of the kingdom of the world flows towards what? Scarcity and self. The culture of heaven flows with abundance. How many of you know there's no recession in heaven? I, I'm living, I, I'm not, this is not some naive faith statement. This is the reality of, I believe that God is looking for men and women to have the kind of faith that believes heaven's culture can shape the culture of earth around us. This is Jesus's prayer on earth as it is in heaven. This is our vision as a community that we become the kinds of people that can be entrusted with that kind of prayer. And it happens that God would actually do what he says in scripture, that you can ask for whatever you wish and it will be done. This is what he's looking for in the kingdom of God for disciples who have been trained in their asking because their hearts have been aligned with the flow of heaven, the culture of heaven. What, okay, so when you think about heaven, when you think about generosity in heaven, I, I, I like to use this illustration. I've used it lots of times in this context, so forgive me if you remember. But I like to compare the kingdom of heaven as the kingdom of abundance and the kingdom of the world as the kingdom of scarcity, right? So what does that mean? Scarcity is when your, your friend gets the promotion and you think, oh, I should have got it. That was mine. He doesn't deserve it. You curse him. You start, you start immediately recognizing all of his faults. How many of you know what I'm talking about, right? Or that one friend gets the new house and you're like, ugh. 
They upgraded their kitchen. Ah. They got the Tesla or Audi. Ah. You don't. They cut you off on the freeway and it's a Tesla and you're like, oh, if the power goes out, you should have a gasoline car. <laughs> Whatever it is. Like, you, you know what I mean? You, does anyone else see this? Am I alone? Everyone's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, it's kind of like when you go to the movies and you have a Twix bar and your wife's like, hey, babe, can I have some? And you're like, you could have got your own. <laughs> and so you give, like you break half of a half and you give out of scarcity versus the kingdom of heaven, right? That person gets the promotion. Yes, I bless that. Or a real personal story would be that one church that just planted a couple years ago gets the building for free. Yes, I bless it. <laughs> Why, Lord? And then the other church gets it, and you're like, okay, what's going on? You're like confessing all your private sins. What did I do? Anyone else want to like, okay, so the culture of heaven is blessing because there's abundance if they have access. So we're like, they're getting the building. That means buildings are coming my way. That's how I see it. Promotions are coming my way when I step into abundant mindset. It's like going to the movie theaters and they're like, hey, it's 50 cents more for the extra large popcorn and there's free refills. And you're like, I can't possibly eat it, but I'm going to do it for the free refills. You walk in and it's spilling everywhere. Like, I need seven extra boxes. I need seven extra. I'm going to, you're passing out boxes to strangers. You're like, here, yeah, you can have popcorn for everyone. That's the heaven. That's the culture of heaven. You know what I'm talking about? You're like, you can have a little bit of this. You can just, I'm going to dump this all over. I'm going to go get another one before the movie starts. God wants to train you. He wants to align your heart so that your, your reactions are laced with that abundance of heaven culture inside of you. Does that make sense? And generosity, see, generosity is the strategy to getting you to that place. How do I get to that perspective? It won't happen because you're stingy. It won't happen because you're holding out for your own. It won't happen because this is mine. It will happen because you learn to release. It will happen because you realize all of the stuff is his stuff. All of your income is his income. When you start telling me, is it before taxes or after taxes? I don't know. <laughs> Do you have oxygen in your lungs? Great, that's from him. Don't waste a breath fighting on Facebook. <sighs> Gossiping. Don't waste the breath cursing the Tesla that cut you off and your kids. This is a very real thing that just happened. I'm, obviously, I'm <laughs> confess. Maybe that's why we didn't get the building. <laughs> no, we got one. We got one. <laughs> choose to align yourself. You have to choose. You have to choose to align yourself. This is why tithe is super handy. You see, a tithe is not commanded in the New Testament. We'll talk about that in a second. It's an Old Testament command that means tenth, that you gave a tenth of your income first to God. Not after when you knew what your taxes were, but it's the first decision. It was a set amount predetermined before you know what the market's going to do. 
I'm going to dedicate this much based on my conversation with the Lord, based on what I gave last year, based on the signs of the time. But I'm, I'm resolving in my heart to put a tenth aside to give to the Lord. This is what the Old Testament commanded. You gave first fruits, you gave offering. And if you're like, oh man, that's Old Testament. There were other expectations of giving in the Old Testament. 10% was just to, uh, to the Levites. And then you had to give a 10% for an, every three years you threw a party. Plus there's 3% that you gave to the poor and widows. You gave more than 20% in the Old Testament, folks. But it's not a command in the New Testament. What's commanded in the New Testament is generosity. I would like to present to you today that the tithe is a, is a discipline towards the command of generosity. See, I think if, if you don't tithe, and what is a tithe, by the way, now? A tithe is a set amount of income given to the local church. A tithe is not going to your favorite nonprofit. It's not a designated gift to your favorite missionary or that, the nonprofit of your choice. A tithe is a non-designated handing over to the local church for the spiritual community's purposes to be entrusted by the leaders, the elders, and the local leadership of the church. This is what a tithe is. Now, in our culture of self, we love designated giving. And most of us, we do the, the casual giving which is just, uh, we just give as we go. You know, like some need comes up, I'm going to give to this. Crisis happens, an earthquake, I'm going to give to the cause. So we go from casual to cause giving. Our hearts are moved by human trafficking. We want to give to the cause of human trafficking or church planning, the things that are inside of us. And then there's the tithe. So uh, casual, cause, and tithe. Tithe, a set amount that you give regularly to a local worshiping community. And then there's generos generosity. Gener generosity goes beyond a tithe. You start getting into things where now it's beyond your, your giving to the church. It's beyond just giving to the needs among the people in the, in the community. It's beyond missions. It's, it's offerings of sacrifice. It's, it's a disposition of life that's aligned with heaven where you live generous towards all. That might mean time. That might mean intellect. That might mean Lakers tickets. That might mean just saying Lakers tickets, whatever else you might have. cars. And how many of you know it's not about the amount that makes you generous? Because you could have lots of money and not be, and give lots of money, but not be generous. And you could have very little and be oozing with generosity. So it's a choice to, I think every fall, every leader in the church needs to tithe. I think that's the reality, that that's the expectation that you live generously. What am I talking about? I'm talking about practices, Talking about disciplines to move your heart to align with God's way. And it starts with these things. So we need to learn how to, to align our hearts. I tell a story. Years ago, um, I was on a men's trip with a bunch of guys. And this uh, Alex calls me. She said, our plumbing, there's water everywhere. And we, it was our first house we purchased. Which, any of you know, when you purchase a house and there's a plumbing problem, um, if you're like me in the living in the world of scarcity, you immediately think it's going to cost thousands and thousands of dollars. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Like the car light goes on. And for me, I have the kind of reaction like I need a new car. <laughs> this is true. In fact, just recently, a couple years ago, um, our, our faucet in our bathroom was, was like dripping. Like it wouldn't go fast. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And in my head, I immediately go, we, we have roots around uh, our plumbing. 
It's going to be a 10,000 job. We're going to, we're going to have to new, get new, all new plumbing for this. Like that's, I'm not exaggerating. I'm like there. Level of stress is there, right? And, and so and I called a friend who's a plumber, and he's like, hey, most of the time, it's just like a little screw on the cap. The filter needs to be replaced. So I undo it. I turn on. $2.99 on Amazon. Got there the next day. Just twist it up. I felt like Tim Allen from Tim the Toolman Taylor. I was like, I got this. Or, or the sidekick, whoever he was. He was better. Al, is that his name? Or whoever it was. Um, I was like, I did it. I put on my tool belt, babe. I fixed it. <laughs> Your dreams have come true. I'm a real man. <laughs> but before that event, so I recognize that that's, a, that's a, a mindset, right? I go straight to the scarcity. So I was sitting at breakfast with a bunch of dudes on our way to a men's retreat driving. And my wife's like, I don't know what ha- what's going to happen. So we call a plumber. And I feel that scarcity just coming in. What does this mean? What's it going to do with our savings? I can't fix it. And I just felt like the Lord said, align yourself to me by the, by the breakfast, like seven dudes. So I just grabbed the check, bought the breakfast. Why did I do it? Because I needed to get into the flow of heaven. And generosity is the easiest way to align yourself to heaven. Does that make sense? All right, that was a, that was a long one. Point number three, God, generosity is God's strategy for building community. I mean, I could go off on this in Deuteronomy where he talks about when anyone asks, be open handed and soft-hearted. Don't be hard-hearted towards those who ask of you. But in Acts chapter 4, there is this New Testament revelation that takes place where it's a snapshot of what the first church looks like. Chapter 4 says this, verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. Now, real quick, that is a miracle. All right? I know they didn't have Facebook and social media, They didn't have memes to divide their community. But they they did speak different languages by this point. They had different generations, different cultural expectations. We know that there's Hebrew culture and Hebrew language, and there's Greek culture, Hellenistic culture, and Greek language. So we know it's diverse, but the Lord did something. He brought them together in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. But, uh, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and distributed it to anyone who had need. Now, a lot of people will like to take this and argue for socialism. That's not at all what's happening in the first century church. You can't do that biblically. What's happening, and, and you can't argue that there's an, there's a, they're, they're arguing for a poverty as a virtue. God's not against money. We need to get, I'm going to talk about this in a second. He's not saying poverty is a moral value. In fact, if heaven came to earth, there would be no poverty. Amen? Amen. That's the result of the, uh, of the fall of sin coming into the world and vandalizing God's shalom. This is a restoration of shalom. This is a uh, embodiment of jubilee, which was this Old Testament idea that you care for those among you. Some of you don't have enough. Some of you have enough. And when you live in local community in relationship to one another, we take on each other's burdens. 
We share. We don't sell everything we have and live in poverty. We will then be dependent on the, the supply, our own supplies from other people. What God is setting up is a new family. This reality is true of a local family. If your cousin's hurting in the first century context, you take care of your cousin. If your brother's uh, brother dies, you take care of his wife. That's what's going on. This new community of God is acting like a new family in the kingdom of God. Does this make sense? And it's through generosity that meaningful relationships are sustained. It's how community is built. We can be generous towards each other with our different opinions. We have a generous spirit to say, I can make room for the Democrat. I can make room for the Republican on both extremes. Because what matters is the resurrected Christ. The political sides we have don't matter as much as the fact that he died on the cross for our sins and raised from the dead. That's pretty good, right? So in view of that, we can be generous towards each other. So does that mean sell everything you have? No. It means be generous, share, look for opportunities. Don't wait for the email for the thing that comes up for Franklin Middle School. Live with such intentionality that you're eager anticipating the opportunity to give. The need comes up, you're on it. So I love our core leadership and our staff. Every chance, every text, every opportunity that there's a need because we get more of, more of them come our way, they're so quick to respond generously. It's so true. They're extravagantly generous. I know this for a fact. I've witnessed the generosity of our team. I've witnessed the generosity of this church. You guys gave $20,000 plus away for the Franklin School Drive during Christmas on top of the building campaign. You guys are so generous. This is how we build a beautiful community. It's God's strategy. Does that make sense? I'm going to skip this. Now I got one. Can I share a story? One of my favorite stories here? Yeah, okay. So um, you guys remember the story. It was when we were doing two services here, probably 2019 or 2018. And um, I was about to preach in the second service, but I, I, during worship, I heard the number $1,200. I'm like, okay. And then it literally was like, like a, a, a thing that I couldn't get out of my head. So I get up here and I start reading the scripture and I, I feel like God is just like smacking me like $1,200. So I can't even read. I'm like, all right, I got to put the Bible down. Hey, this is super weird, but I need to sit with it. I heard, heard something and I can't preach until I, I figure out what's going on. So I sit down and we just wait. And as clear as day, I heard the Lord say, there's a, a single mom here who needs $1,200. She's being evicted. Okay, so here's how you test that word. Hey, guys. Uh, so <laughs> just heard that before I can preach, I, I think there's a single mom here who needs $1,200. She's being evicted. Do you have the notice? And this woman starts crying over here. She holds up the notice. She's got five kids, first time in the church. $1,200 is what she needs for rent. Oh, isn't that amazing? That when the Spirit of God comes, he takes care of the widows. Isn't that amazing? When the Spirit of God comes, if we learn to respond to the Spirit, He will supply the needs of the orphan and the widow in our midst. And rather than going through the bureaucracy of, you know, filling an application in that moment, I was like, you know what, I'm going to do even something, something even greater. Uh, why don't we just pass the bucket again and just put in cash? And this was a smaller service with the second service then, and put in as much cash that you have, and we'll just give it to her, and we'll, we'll figure out the rest. With change put in, exactly $1,200 was given. That's a miracle. And that, from that moment, we're like, you know what? We should start passing the bucket twice every now and then. 
We, do you, I don't know if you've been here, but we, there are moments where we would pass the bucket twice and we, we would say, hey, if you brought cash and your rent's paid, you have everything you need, there's food in the fridge, gas in your car, but um, if you're here and you need something, anything, why don't you just, uh, we're going to say, if you have everything paid, pass the buckets and put as much cash in as possible. If you have need, just take as much cash out, cash out as possible. And when we started doing that, our church started to grow. It was awesome. Um, <laughs> this was the... We, <laughs> People are like, that's the church that gives the money away. <laughs> you know, I've told this story around the world. I have. I tell this story. And I was at a conference with 15,000 adults called New Wine in the UK. And I was the, the main Bible preacher. I preached every day and I was doing stuff that I've taught here. And I got to the generosity talk. It was like the fourth day. And it was a setup for that night where they would take an offering. And I, I did this talk on generosity. I told that story. And I'll never forget it because this is what happens. What I realize is what happens is somebody will inevitably, when I do ministry time, come up and hand me cash. And they're like, just give to anyone that comes up that has a need. I'm like, and then I, I pause the service. I'm like, hey, somebody just gave me 50 pounds. Um, I think there's some people here that might need it. And we're, I'm just going to put it in this bucket. So come up if that's you. Let's, there's no judgment. You're, you're robbing us the opportunity to provide for you. And then someone comes up crying, grabs the money. And next thing you know, it's just thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars just come up. It's literally overflowing all the buckets. People are taking cash. There was a youth pastor that needed a car. Somebody gave them a car in that service. It was just a miracle of God. It was a, it was a moment where heaven came to earth. And how? Generosity. Do you see the value? Do you see the importance in a world that wants you to identify your life based on your net worth? on your job and what you produce, on how much you've made, on what you've accomplished, on the stuff you've acquired. The kingdom of heaven is like, no, no, no. It's about releasing because all of that is grace. All of that is gift. All of that is generosity from God. Which, all right, one more point. I got two more points and then we'll, we'll, we'll end it. The fourth point I want to make is generosity is God's strategy for worship. Oh, Generosity points people back to God, right? So there's a story in Exodus, I love it, where um, they, the people of God, remember, they were slaves, wander, uh, they were enslaved to Egypt, and then they're free. And then God gives them these instructions to live by these rules and then to also have um, uh, this place to worship him. He gives them the tabernacle this space where God's presence would come and the people of God could bring sacrifice and honor him and worship him. And at first it's this, this tent that will travel with them wherever they go. And then it becomes a temple. But if you study the scriptures, what happens is God says to Moses, command the Israelites to bring a sacrifice, an offering to build the house of worship. And it says that everyone Everyone that, could, that was skilled, all the men that were skilled in labor, all the women that were skilled in sewing, sewing and all these things, they come and they bring their offerings and they keep bringing their offerings to the point where in Exodus 26, let's go there real quick, it says, then Moses gave an order and sent the word out through the camp, no man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they had already had given was more than enough to do the work. The first time the people of God are given a place to worship, there's so much generosity that Moses says, stop bringing it. We have an over, we have, we're overwhelmed by it. Isn't that amazing? That generosity 
empowers the space of worship. In, in uh, 2 Corinthians, I love this passage. 2 Corinthians uh, verse 9, verse 6, Paul instructs the church in Corinth. He says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He's talking about giving, okay? So in this context, he's preparing the church in Corinth to take up an offering for those who are suffering in Jerusalem, about 800, 900 miles away. And Paul was going throughout the churches in the Roman Empire, collecting an offering for the Lord's people, those who were suffering in Jerusalem with famine, poverty, and persecution. And he, he took an offering for people that none of these people met, but all of these people are there because of those people. Does that make sense? And he had just passed by Macedonia, which would be a, a church that was extremely poor. Severe poverty is what he said. And he wasn't even going to take up an offering because of their poverty, but they, the church heard that he was taking up an offering and wanted to give to the, to the people who were suffering in Jerusalem. This is, this is chapter 8. Okay, so Paul's like, oh my gosh, I have people coming from Macedonia who are poor with me to take this offering to Jerusalem and we're going to Corinth and you guys said you were going to give. And Corinth would be like the wealthy Southern California community, right? It would be a beachside community. You know, uh, they could surf, they could drive nice cars. There was Fashion Island, all the little temples, <laughs> temples dedicated to Los Cerritos Small, all the temples dedicated to, to the other gods, you know what I'm talking about. If it has an Apple store, you know it's dedicated to some other God. Just kidding. So, not, not kidding, but just playing, playing around. Playful. Playful sub little jab. Yeah, I got you there. There's <coughs> a hook. <coughs> and so he says, you got to be ready. Okay, Get re- you're gonna, you got to take an offering. Okay, you got to be ready because these people who are poor gave way more than I anticipated. And you're wit- rich. So be ready. That's what he's writing. The, the entire Second Corinthian letter is based for, for that purpose. Okay, so we get to nine. He says, remember those who sow, spare, sow, uh, who sow sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Like, don't just do it spontaneously. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that In all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You catch it? Hey, if you, if you give sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. This is, this is a principle of the kingdom of God in generosity. If you just give the Twix, you will experience the Twix on the other side. That's what will be given. I believe this. He'll talk about this in a second. I'll talk about uh, to whatever measure you use will be measured towards you. This is a principle of the kingdom of God. But when you sow generously, and I'm not just talking about money, but I am talking about money. I'm talking about your time. I'm talking about all resources, your, the, the, the collection of wisdom you've possessed. 
Are you giving it away to the next generation? Are you discipling others into the wisdom you have endured through suffering? Or are you holding it for yourself? This is what God wants you to do. He wants you to live generously so that your generosity will point people to God. It will result in thanksgiving to God. Your generosity will point people to God. It's like when my friend bought somebody a gym membership. I'll never forget this. And he had a conversation with the gym owner and the owner could not believe his generosity. And when he asked why, my friend said, because God, that's why. I like being generous because of God. He's pointing people to the reality of who God is and what heaven's culture looks like. Does this make sense? That when you live generously, when you choose to sow generously, God, um, it points people to God, which goes to another strategy. God, uh, generosity is God's strategy for true riches. Generosity, let me say this, requires stewardship. If you don't know how much you make, if you're not disciplined in the amount of money and income and resources, if you're not aware of the resource you have, you can't live generously. Generosity is not just, okay, I'm just going to give it all. Generosity requires this biblical concept of stewardship. It's used throughout the New Testament. It's used in the Old Testament. The word steward is, it really, the idea is a manager of a house, okay? So the steward doesn't work in the house for his own wishes and desires. The steward works on behalf of the owner, on behalf of his desires and, and, and wishes. So when, when we say to be generous um, is God's strategy for true riches, he's, in order to experience true riches, we need to learn how to be a steward first. So we need to learn how to use our life and life's resources as if our life and our resources are not our own. You catch that? Like God is actually um, giving you access to this stuff here and now to train you for true riches. Like all of the money you make, all of the wisdom you've collected, all of the relationships, all of the access, all of the information you've consumed and have embodied, everything about the time, your health, all of that resource that God has given you is not for your purposes. It's not for your desires. It's so that it's on behalf, it's to be used on behalf of God. Let me, let me go to, check this out, uh, Luke chapter 16. And now you're getting, you're like, Dan, this is really hard to hear. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So look at what he says. This is Jesus speaking. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if, if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is saying that if you can be trusted with the very little things of this world, and he's speaking specifically to money, if you can be entrusted with the very little things like money, he will then empower you to live with true riches, kingdom riches. If you have been trusted with your income, 
your life's resources, the very little things of this world, Jesus will be faithful as the king to entrust you with so much more in the age to come. When we steward what we have with, the king, with our kingdom values, when God, God will increase our capacity to handle true wealth and riches in the age to come. If we are faithful and generous with our income, he will increase our influence in this life and the age to come. In other words, Jesus is saying, how you steward your income, your money, and your life's resources has eternal impact. Look, quick disclaimer. You're like, I've never heard this before. I mean, look, it's all over the place. Like the talents, the, the parable of the talents. Jesus uses the, the, uh, uh, the money and economics um, as his primary illustration for how the kingdom works as parables go. Do you know that? So he's trying to make sense of how we operate in the world. And if we learn to live today in this reality, this life right now, with kingdoms, uh, a kingdom mindset with a generous heart, if we, we see our stuff as his stuff and we steward those things well, he will reward and honor us in the future. This is a biblical command. This is not prosperity gospel. This is biblical. This is gospel. This is the teachings of the kingdom. Now, quick disclaimer I want to add, real, real quick. Um, money and possessions can be enjoyed and stewarded well at the same time. Okay, so I, I just, I need to reiterate this. I believe God wants to release billions of dollars on people in our church, millions of dollars. I don't, I believe he wants to release wealth over the next generation in a way that honors God, in a way that builds his kingdom, in a way that points people back to God, in a way that, that is, uh, is stewarded in such a way that has massive impact around the nations. Does that make sense? I mean, this is in all, the, if you read the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see this as a reality, that when heaven comes, money is part of that reality of exchange. I know this is a hard concept, so just lead in real quick. Lean in. Like, we have to see, that, let me just make this point, that we have to see that money is not evil. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. The, the desire to define ourselves by money, the, the need for money. And I just want to say this. I have met very wealthy people who are the most generous and money has nothing to do with how they define themselves. I have also met very poor people who are obsessed with money and they have in their heart a kind of desire for stuff that is, that is crippling their usefulness in the kingdom of God. Does this make sense? So money is not a bad thing. I have to tell people all the time, like it's okay to celebrate in the kingdom of God, to take that vacation, to buy that car. Because what we've done is we've made um, giving everything away the highest moral value. And that's not, that's not biblical stewardship is. Okay, I'm getting out of myself. Are you guys Okay. I see some of you looking like, okay, you're taking me through the loop. Yes, a little too much. Let me just say this, that God wants to train you in such a way right now that he can entrust you with building his kingdom here and now where you can be entrusted with more wealth. I believe he wants to give inheritance to the next generation from the parents that are, that are using their finances well now. And he wants, to, wants you to learn generosity of spirit, learn generosity of heart, and learn generosity of finances and resources and time and all of those things. Does that make sense? Okay, we'll keep going because I was going down a rabbit hole. That right there is enough to, 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 to confuse everyone. Proverbs chapter three. I'll just say this. 
Proverbs chapter 3 says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. That's a promise from Proverbs. Honor the, God, honor the, Lord, with your, uh, honor the Lord with your wealth, and he will reward you. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to get more money. Does that make sense? It means you will be entrusted with true riches. There we go. Let's move on. So the question I want to leave you is how do you view the money you control? Do you see it as there to meet your need, to satisfy your greed, or do you see it as God's gift to steward on his behalf? Ask yourself this question real quick. Am I generous? Or is selfishness still the dominant force in my heart? How much of you does God have? Does he have all of you? You might give him your devotion. You might give him your Tuesday night. You might give him your Sunday morning. You might give him that percentage, that tithe. But does he have all of you? Does he have your wardrobe? Does he have the things that you consume, the food you consume, the media you consume? Uh, Does he have your calendar? Does he have your relationships? Does he have your 401k? Does he have your future dreams, your plans for the future? Does he have your vacations that you plan? Does he have your income? Does he have all of you? God wants to work in your hearts because he wants to make you generous. I'm going to leave you with some practicals. You guys good? I I think I lost you. Here we go. I want you to do this. Here's some steps to grow in generosity. I'm going to go through fast. Take an inventory of your resources. Ask this question. If God audited your bank account and your spending habits, what would he say? You're like, you spend a lot on lattes. Right? Like, wow, Darren, your pokey budget is off the charts. (laughs) Make a plan. Make a plan for your finances. Go to financial peace. Get your finances in order. Live on a budget. Get out of debt. Save and give. We can help you with all of that. There's plenty of resources out there. Start to tithe. I found these stats on tithing. I'm just going to skip them. It's so fascinating. Basically, it shows that the people who tithe regularly are way better off financially. And it's not that they make more money. It's that there's something that is blessed by their commitment to giving. Like those who give... Are, are less likely to be in credit card debt in the United States. So anyways, there's a bunch of stats on that. Practice sharing what you do have. People I always talk to young college students that basically say, say to me, um, I'll tithe eventually when I have enough, or I'll give eventually when I have enough. And the reality is giving generously doesn't start when you necessarily have more than you need. It starts with what you have. And I learned this from my mom, who's here. <laughs> kind of awkward to talk about her. There were seasons, oh man, my mom has, the reason this is a value in our church is because it's a value in my life and my mom's life. And it's a value that I think God wants to permeate in his church. It's generosity. It, it's, it, it is extravagant. It's wasteful. I remember not having enough at a, a season in my life after my parents divorced, where it was clearly harder financially than it was when they were together. And just this year, my mom talked about something, and I I didn't ask your permission, mom, but I'm going to share it. (laughs) We talked about eating eggs, 
And I was like, we ate eggs all the time. And she's like, yeah, I ate the frozen hot, hot dogs. I'm like, what? And I'm like, I laughed. I'm like, oh, that's funny. Like, I didn't know you liked hot dogs. No, I did it so I could save the eggs for you and your brothers. See, there's, a, there's, there's extravagant generosity, and then there's something else. And I haven't talked about this. It's sacrifice. You can start with casual, move to cause, move to tithing consistent, move to generosity, and then extravagant, but then it gets to sacrifice. And this is the nature of God. This is where extravagant generosity leans you into the heartbeat, which is to lay down your life. It's to say, I'm going to not have this thing, because you can be extravagantly generous and still have the thing, but sacrifices, I'm not going to have this thing in order, so, in order for you to have that thing. I'm not going to have this subscription so I can give you this thing. There was a season when my wife and I and our boys, we'd eat, it was, we'd, my wife and I would fast on a day, and we did um, beans and rice night. And we gave the, the money that we, we saved from cooking that, that, that particular night a week to, at that time, to pastors in India. Because I had just gotten back from India, and I was like, how do I go back to abundance when I have friends that are living on $2 a day? And the Lord just said, why don't you just do this thing, fast, and then eat beans and rice, which is what they're eating every day, and then give generously. And, and I remember that, and I realized in that moment there are creative ways that you can go beyond just a generous gift to sacrificing for those who are suffering. And brothers and sisters, if you want to know the truth, that's where we're headed. So if you're like, oh, I'm offended the pastor said to tithe. Well, okay, you're going to be really offended when I talk about sacrifice. <laughs> Practice what, sharing what you have. Do random acts of giving. My, I borrow money from my kids all the time because... <laughs> Because there's always people that have need, and I don't ever carry cash, but they have all the cash they have, <laughs> which is a lot for a nine-year-old. I'm like, gosh, bro, don't carry all of that. He's a good, he's a good uh, saver, and, and, but I'll, I'll pay him back. I put it in his account, but uh, we'll give cash. So I, we carry cash, or my sons do, so we can give to those in need. I pay him back. I want to say this. I, this is just, I know I'm going long, but forget it. It's the last Sunday here. I want to say this. We're going to be in a new spot with awesome restaurants. Yeah. It's going to, like, after church, you're going to be like, fellowship time, let's go. <laughs> Beals Texas Barbecue, Cliff Diver, Himalayan Grill, Golden Road. It's insane. We're going to have this abundance of, like, great food right next to our venue. When you leave Garden Church on Sundays, be an extravagantly generous tipper. Amen? The service industry goes through it too. And I worked in the service industry and anyone has worked in service industry, you know, there's a lot of work. Look, we're going we're gonna to say standard on Sundays, 30%. I'm just saying standard on Sundays. I want them to be like, oh my gosh, they tip 30% or more. They must be a gardener. And I won't, I'm, I'm, I'm like, don't go out if you're not going to be generous. So just buy less. Don't get the drink so you can tip more. Sacrifice. Sacrifice, you know, the extra side of sweet, pota- sweet yams. They have some amazing yams. I'm just saying, Beals, I'm, I'm, I love it. Been there already too much, okay? So let's keep going. So gas tank challenge. One of, the, one of those, my friend said, every time I go to the gas tank, I try to fill someone else's gas up. So cool, right? 
I like to do buy one, give one. So if you buy a new pair of pants, give a pair of pants away. You bought that jacket, the new one, give a jacket away. Live with people, live in relationship with people where it's not an awkward exchange. It's like, no, I get to share with you what I received. Does that make sense? Don't start doing handouts. Live in relationship with friends and share your stuff. And let's commit to no needs among us. That's it. That's all I got. All right, by, by way of ending, we're going we're gonna to close in just a second and do announcements and sing a song and celebrate. We're not going to do ministry time. Um, we're not even going to pass the buckets. I'm going to say, I expect all of you to give generously, not just today, but ongoingly. We have a real need. We, we increased our budget, yada, 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 with the move. I know you guys are going to, God's going to do something and you're going to start activating giving. Um, last year, our board decided in a deficit to give money away in response to the deficit. We chose to align ourselves to the reality of the kingdom of God. Um, this year, as we were preparing to leave, we felt like we needed to do something similar as a board of directors in the midst of knowing that, hey, we have a lot of need as an organization. We have so much need. Let's realign our hearts to what God's doing. So what we decided is uh, we're going to give $40,000 away as a gift. $25,000 is going to Franklin Middle School. So we're leaving Franklin Middle School with $25,000 cash uh, for this school. So it's not, it's not going to, you know, all the Long Beach school. We're going to give it to Franklin for them to do what they want with it. Um, we're going to give to church planners. There's some church planners we're friends with. We're giving to the Long Beach Collective, uh, a church collective, which has set up this organization to help uh, support healthy pastors because right now the state of pastoring in the United States is so bad. 40% of all pastors pastoring right now wish they were doing something else. 90% wish they, uh, 90% don't feel like they're trained adequately for their work. 80% say it's been harmful to their marriage. It's horrible. The average age of pastor in the United States is 55 years old. We have less young people joining, leading the church than ever before. We are headed towards a major crisis if we don't change those stats. So Eric Marsh, uh, and who's a friend of ours, and Dana Cochran's on that team. John's on the team. They put up. Uh, they, they basically are doing this amazing thing for local Long Beach and Long Beach area pastors to help steward them and care for them. So we're going to give to that. And we're going to give to some missions in unreached places, which we can't disclose the location of because they're uh, not supposed to be there because they're Christian. So we're giving $40,000 away um, as a gift to re realign our hearts before we leave. And we're doing that, announcing that today. How cool is that? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.